Hey, today, uh, you if you've seen the title of the sermon, you know that it's entitled, How to Get Even. So today we are talking about how you can get back at those who have hurt you, how you can get revenge, how you can get even when someone has done you wrong. And so if you're not normally a note taker, I would tell you today, take notes. What you are getting today is pure gold that you cannot get anywhere else. I'm going to tell you how you can really get even with your enemies today. And so in preparing for today, I did a little bit of research online, trying to look at creative ways that people have gotten back at those who have hurt them. A lot of the stories um, had to do with boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses who had cheated and the offended boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse got back um, at the one who had cheated. Uh, one of the better examples was this one. Uh, this was a listing on Craigslist, free Corvette, cult wife cheating in Snellville, Georgia. And I bet that did not last long. Someone got a free Corvette because a wife was unfaithful. Uh, not all of them had to do with uh, offended spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends, but they were still very creative. Uh, this was one where a little sister stole $20 from her older brother, and so he hid her homework in a folder on her computer. Dear sister, as revenge for stealing my $20, I've hidden your project in one of these folders, and guess what? All of these folders have three subfolders. This should teach you to not steal from me, so have fun trying to find your project. If there's a lesson to be learned here, it's don't steal from your big brother with warm regards and hateful loathing and vengeance. Your loving brother, folder 16, go die. <laughs> now, I, I'm a Mac user. I'm not sure the difference in Mac and Windows, but on a Mac, you just search for the name of the project and you find it. But all of you poor Windows users, you have to go through something like this. So the next folder, don't send me that email. I know on Windows you can do it too. <laughs> Evidently, the girl didn't do that. All you like diehard Windows people, you're going to send me a nasty email. This next one um, is from uh, actually a dog that was offended that his, I'm sorry, let me back up. This one, um, someone double parked in a space, drives me crazy, by the way, when, when people take up two spaces. So they tied a grocery cart to their door. That'll teach him. This next one was a dog who was upset with his owner and decided to get revenge for being left in the car. <laughs> That's how your dog gets even. And this last one is not as much revenge as it is karma, but it's just great, and I thought I would include it. <laughs> That'll learn you. Right. All right, so today we're talking about how to get revenge, and we're continuing our series called Sins and Stones on the Life of King David. And if you've been here with us, you know that King David was the second king over Israel. He lived about a thousand years before Christ, about 3,000 years ago, and he was the king who came after the first king of Israel, a man named King Saul. King Saul started off strong in his pursuit of the Lord. He, um, his heart was close to God, but then over time, he became proud and his heart drifted away from God to the point that God rejected his reign over Israel, and not just his, but his entire family line. 
So God sent a man named Samuel to the house of a guy named Jesse to anoint this young teenager named David to be the next king over Israel. The only problem, and it was a big problem for David, was Saul was still king, and he was not happy about having a king in waiting who was not part of his family line. And so Saul, time after time after time again, attempts to rid the earth of David. He tries to pursue David, hunt David down, and have David killed. And if you've been here with us for this series, you know that David acted honorably throughout all of that that he did not try to get revenge against Saul, that he did not try to undermine Saul, that he, in this situation, was completely innocent, yet Saul was trying to kill him throughout it all. Today, we will see that David finally gets his chance at revenge. He finally gets his opportunity to get even with Saul, to give Saul a little taste of his own medicine. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 uh, Samuel is in your Old Testament, comes right after Ruth, which comes right after the book of Judges. And we will start reading with verse 1 of 1 Samuel 24. Here's what we read. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Okay, stop there for a moment. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, if you grew up in church, you know that the Philistines are the sworn enemy of the Israelites. And Saul had been pursuing David, trying to hunt him down and kill him, but then he got word that this town in Israel was under attack by the Philistines. So Saul then turned, he went to this town, he dealt with the Philistines. Once that was under control, he then went back to trying to hunt down David. And Saul gets word that David is in a place called En Gedi. En Gedi was and is located about 35 miles to the southeast of Jerusalem near the Dead Sea. Here's a map of Israel. You see Jerusalem in the middle. Up towards the north, the Sea of Galilee, up in that region, there are a lot of trees. It's a lush area. There's a lot of vegetation. But as you get down towards the Dead Sea, it becomes this rocky, barren land. In between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea is nothing but this rocky desert. There's just no vegetation there, except there is this one oasis in the desert called En Gedi. It is this natural spring that flows uh, from these rocks and creates a waterfall. It's the only waterfall in all of Israel. Uh, when I was there a few years ago, I got to visit uh, that, that is the, the scene that you see around the Dead Sea. Actually, I took this picture from a fortress called Masada. It was a fortress that King Herod had built. It's all around that area. It's just this barren desert except for En Gedi, which is this beautiful waterfall right there in the desert. Uh, en Gedi actually means spring of the young goat. And so animals, young goats, other animals would go there to get water uh, trees would grow there. It's, it's actually this lush place in the desert. So David and his men go to En Gedi 
to get refreshment. They can find food. They've got a water source there. It's a place for them to go and to take a break. Saul hears that David and his men are in, uh, in Gedi, and so he gets a small army of 3,000 men, and he pursues David in that place. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So at En Gedi, all around this waterfall are these caves dotted in the hillsides. Hundreds and hundreds of caves are there. David and his men go to En Gedi. They get word that Saul and his army are in pursuit. They are coming. They, they can hear the cavalry coming. And so they go into a cave and they hide in the cave. While they are hiding, Saul and his army are coming along and Saul says to his men, excuse me, as we say in our house, got to go potty. I need to go relieve myself. I need a little bit of privacy. I'm going to go into this cave here. And of all the caves, of the hundreds of caves located on this hillside, Saul happens to choose the cave where David and his men were hiding. Deeper in the cave, where it was dark, Saul goes into that cave unaware that David and his men are a little further in the cave. And so David and his men are there, and his men say to David, this is your chance. Saul is here defenseless. This is your chance to rid the world of Saul, to get even, to get revenge, so far, Saul has made your life incredibly miserable. Now you can get back at Saul. And these men even get really, really spiritual on David. They say to him, look, God has delivered him into your hands. Think about it for a moment, David. There are all these caves on this hillside. We could have gone into any one of those caves to hide. He could have gone into any one of those caves to go to the bathroom, yet he chose this particular cave. This is surely the hand of God at work. And David, understand this. Right now, he is alone and defenseless, which never, ever happens. He always has his bodyguards with him, but now, look, he is by himself. This is your chance. Kill Saul, and you can be free. Get your revenge on Saul. Now, their argument here was very legitimate. There was no way it was a coincidence that out of all those caves on the hillside, that the, ones that, the one that David and his men were hiding in was the one that Saul chose. It did appear, in fact, that God had delivered Saul into the hands of David. All David had to do was to take a few steps forward and to take his sword and thrust it into Saul. And no one would have blamed David. David here seemed to be given this gift by God that here's your enemy in this cave. You can take his life. And instead of killing him, 
David quietly goes over to where Saul had laid his robe so that he could go potty, and he cuts off the corner of his robe. We'll come back to this in just a minute. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. After Saul left the cave and went his way. So this is a key part of the story. Just like his men told him, David easily could have justified killing Saul by saying, look, this guy has been so unfair to me. He, he has hurt me. He's tried to kill me. God has delivered him into my hands. I could easily take his life. But David didn't view it that way. David said, God has anointed me to be king over Israel at a future time, but in the same way, he has anointed Saul to be king over Israel right now. And it is not my job to try to short-circuit his reign over Israel. That is up to God. And, and David even felt guilty for cutting off a corner of his robe, and he told his men, you cannot attack Saul, let him go. Then verse 8, here's what happened. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. So here David does three things. The first thing is he reveals himself to Saul. Saul at this point had 3,000 men with him who were battle-tested soldiers. These guys were well-equipped. They had experience. David at the most had 400 men that were more like a militia. They were not well-trained, well-equipped soldiers. They could fight, but they would not have a chance against Saul's army. So David here exhibits incredible trust in the Lord. He comes out of the cave and he says to Saul, look, there is no way that my ragtag gang of 400 soldiers is going to be able to go to battle against your 3,000. So I'm trusting that you're not going to kill me. Here I am, Saul. If you want to kill me, you can, but I'm trusting that you won't. And here's why. Here's the second thing. He calls Saul out. He doesn't whitewash what Saul had done. He says to Saul, you have tried to kill me, and you came into this cave, and you were unguarded. None of your bodyguards came in, and I had my chance to finally be done with you. And everybody in the cave said, go ahead and take his life. Go ahead, David, and see how well your sword fits in between his ribs, and then you'll be finally done with Saul. 
you are justified in doing this, David. God has delivered him into your hands. And Saul, maybe they were right. Maybe I should have done that, but I didn't. And that alone should be proof that I am innocent, that I'm not trying to undermine you, and I am not after you in any way. And then the third thing that he does is this. David shows Saul the respect that Saul was due even though Saul wasn't acting very kingly. Saul had been a jerk to David, and that's an absolute understatement. Saul had been unfair to David. He did not deserve respect except for the fact that he was king. And because he was king, David showed him respect by bowing down before him, by calling him my father, by proclaiming that he was the Lord's anointed. Okay, skip down to verse 16, and this will end the story. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. He said, you are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. Saul here recognized that he was wrong. Uh, he, David could have killed him, but he didn't. Saul was convicted over the way that he acted. He wept over his actions. He acknowledged his sin and David's righteousness. But understand this, this was not repentance on Saul's part. Saul may have felt regret. He may have felt guilt. He may have been embarrassed over the way that he acted. But later, he would then turn and try to kill David again. He would go back to his old, old ways. This was not true repentance because later we see him trying to hunt down and kill David. Okay, so what are we supposed to take from all of this? When someone hurts us, are we to do like David and just not hurt them back? Are we as Christians supposed to roll over and play dead when someone insults us, when they offend us, when they wrong us in some way? Are we called as Christians to be doormats? I mean, don't we have the right to stand up for ourselves and our rights? And when someone wrongs us, don't we have the right to get back at them? How, how do we get even with those who have hurt us? All right, I want to turn over to the New Testament and to a passage that ties in directly with the story that we have read. If you've got a Bible, flip over to the New Testament to a letter that we call 1 Peter. Uh, Peter was an apostle of Jesus. He was a close associate of Jesus, spent a lot of time with Jesus. And after Jesus left this earth, Peter wrote a letter to other followers of Christ. And he talked in the letter about how we are to live as followers of Christ, including how we are to get back at those who have hurt us. He gives lots of practical instructions, and in this one section, in 1 Peter 3, he talks about getting revenge. And here's what he wrote. Verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Okay, so Peter begins and says, Do not get even by following the formula of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Don't do it that way. Do not walk down that path. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. 
Then he goes on and says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So Peter here says, look, here's the path you are to take. When someone offends, when someone insults, when someone wrongs you in some way, do not repay that evil with evil, but repay that evil with blessing. Or we might say repay that evil with good. Okay, let's, let's stop for just a moment and consider our options. So someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, they treat you evil in some fashion, some form, they hurt you. How do you get back at them? How do you respond? What are ways that you can get back at them? All right, so how do we get even? Option number one is this. We repay evil with evil. They hurt us, we hurt them back. That was certainly the expectation in David's day. In fact, the, the structure of the culture was this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was, it was expected in a way because that was the way that society operated because they did not have a well-developed police force, a well-developed judicial system. It was the way you kind of kept people in check. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If somebody murdered someone, they understood that there was a good chance that a friend or a relative of that person they murdered was going to come back and try to get them and try to kill them. And in a culture that, that did not have a well-developed judicial system, that kept society in check. You know, it, it was very common. It was very expected and so for David to get revenge against Saul was very much expected. It's why the men in the cave that day said, David, this is it. This is your chance. You know what you need to do. You know what you ought to do. What are you waiting on? Get justice. Now, in our day, we tend to not operate that way on something like murder or some major crime. We call that vigilante justice, and vigilante justice will get you in trouble. If you, if you go and kill someone who killed one of your friends, you know, you're going to end up in jail. That's not the path that you want to walk. We tend to not operate that way on criminal matters, but if someone hurts us or they wrong us, we like vigilante justice in some way to get back at them. Right? If they wrong us, we want to wrong them back. And typically, we operate in what I call a plus one system. So the plus one system goes like this. Someone hurts you, they offend you, they gossip about you, they make you look bad at work, they make you look bad at school. They do something to you, and in your mind, you determine that offense was a level five. So you get back at them with a level six to teach them a lesson right? If you go back at level five, that's not enough. You go back at them with a little level six to teach them a lesson and to make it sting just a little bit because they started the deal and they deserve it. And so, you know, if you hurt a little bit more than what you hurt me, then that's good. You need to feel that sting so you won't do it again. Well, then what happens? You hurt them at a level six and they say, that's not fair. I mean, I know I hurt you, but it was a level five. If you're going to hurt me back, if you want to get even, hurt me at a level five, not a level six. But since you've hurt me at a level six, I've got to now hurt you at a level seven. So you understand that you can't hurt me as bad as, as, bad as that just because I hurt you. So they hurt you at a level seven. What do you have to do? 
Got to go to an eight, right? Or you add five plus seven. You go, I'm going to go to 12 because you've hurt me twice now. I've only hurt you once. And then it's just this back and forth thing trying to get even with the person who, have, who has hurt us. And while our culture operates that way, while our culture works that way, this does not work. It will not get you even with your enemies. It just doesn't work. So that's option one. Option two is to repay evil with nothing. Someone hurts you, they offend you, they gossip about you, they make you look bad at school, they make you look bad at work, they do something that hurts you, and you respond with nothing. You just ignore it. You say, I'm not going to dignify your sin with a response. I'm not going to get in the mud with you. You acted in a cruel and vicious way, and I'm just going to ignore it. Or in some cases, if it's bad enough, you say, I'm just going to cut you out of my life completely. As far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. We're no longer friends. We're no longer speaking. When I pass you on the street, I look the other way. I do not acknowledge your presence. I'm just going to ignore it. Now, let me say, there are times that you need to respond this way for your own mental and emotional health. If someone has hurt you and they've hurt you again and hurt you again, there are times that you've got to separate from that person because you just, you just can't put yourself in those situations. However, this is not always the option that you're even able to take. If it's a family member and they've hurt you in some way that's, that's not dramatic and extreme, you can't say to your mom, well, I'm just never talking to you again. You're dead to me. You can't say to your spouse, I'm never talking to you again. You're dead. You can't say to your child, hey, you're, you're just, you know, you're dead to me. I'm never talking to you again. And I, even in, in the workplace, if a boss offends you, I mean, you can't say, well, I'm just never speaking to you again unless you can get another job. And that's not going to happen right away most of the time. So option number two, while sometimes it's necessary, many times it's, it's not even an option. So here are options. Repay evil with evil, repay evil with nothing, or thirdly, repay evil with good. Let's go back to this passage and see what Peter says here. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So Peter here says, look, do not take option one. Whatever you do, do not take option one. If your little sister steals $20 from you, do not bury her project in a folder on the computer so deeply that she can't find it. If someone in the parking lot takes up two spaces, do not zip tie a grocery cart to their door handle. Let someone else do it because it is very appropriate <laughs> for the person who does that to be punished in some way, but you don't do it. Let someone who's not a Christian do it. <laughs> we like having some non-Christians in the world sometimes to, to do that. But someone insults you, do not insult them back. Do not repay evil with evil. Okay, well, P Peter, I get it. Do not repay evil with evil, but then what am I supposed to do? So he continues, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Or our option three, repay evil with good. 
Okay, Peter, I get it. So I'm not supposed to repay evil with evil. I'm supposed to repay evil with good, but why? He goes on and explains why. Because to this you were called. Great. I was called. It's my duty. You know, I'm not sure I like this. It's what I'm supposed to do. Because I'm a Christian, I can't get back at anybody. At my office, they hurt me. I'm just supposed to roll over and play dead. At school, they offend me in some way. They yell at me. They embarrass me. And I'm just supposed to take it and respond with a smile and a blessing because I was called to do this, because I'm supposed to do it, because I'm a follower of Christ. I have to do these things. Somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm supposed to pray for them because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to do it. I mean, at this point, some of you are thinking, wait a second, this sermon was entitled How to Get Even, and you're telling me that because I'm a Christian, I can't get even, that I'm supposed to be Mr. Good Guy, Mrs. Good, Good Girl. I can't get back at them. I don't like this sermon. I want to trade it in for another sermon. What can we do here? This is not working out. And you know, honestly, if this verse ended right here, I'd feel a little bit like you. I mean, I think as Christians, as followers of Christ, there is this element that we have offended God greatly, and yet God has shown incredible grace to us. God did not repay our evil with evil. God did not just ignore it, which is mercy, which God does give us mercy by not punishing us. But more than that, God shows us grace. We get salvation. So yeah, partly as Christians, we should do this because we were called because God treated us this way. Yet there's got to be something more. There needs to be something more. And that's what Peter gives us. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing or we would say good because to this you are called. And then here's the punchline. So that you may inherit a blessing. So that you may inherit a blessing. Here's what Peter is saying. This is more than just your duty. This is more than just, well, I'm called to do this because I'm a Christian. This is a promise. Peter says, you do this. You act this way. You return evil with blessing. You return insult with good. And here's the promise of God. He will bless your life as a result. So, Peter, what do you mean by that? How does that look? Right. This is what Peter does. He then gives us a passage that ties directly to the story that we just read. Peter then quotes from David in his writings in Psalm 34. Here's what Peter wrote. Here's what David wrote. For whoever, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And then here's the key in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Go back and consider David's story for just a moment. They're in the cave. Saul's men are in hot pursuit, intending to kill David. 
David is deep within this cave, and out of all the caves on the hillside, Saul comes into that cave alone to go to the restroom. He is defenseless. This is David's opportunity. He can easily, easily justify killing Saul out of self-defense, repaying evil for evil. David, of all people at this point, no one would have said, well, this was wrong. This was wrong. David had every right in the world to do this. And yet, David understood that if he did this, maybe later on in his reign, someone would have said, well, the only reason that you're king is because you killed the prior king. Saul's blood is on your hand. Were you really God's anointed as king? Or did you get the throne through violence, David? Easily that could have happened. David instead returned evil with blessing. And then here's what happens. Seven chapters later, we're not sure exactly how many years later, seven chapters later, Saul and his army are in a battle against the Philistines. Saul is wounded. He turns to his bodyguard and he says, would you just go ahead and kill me? We're going to lose this battle. I don't want the Philistines to kill me. You kill me. And the bodyguard says, no way. I'm not killing the king. And so Saul takes his sword and he falls on his sword and he ends up committing suicide. God took care of Saul, and David did not have to have Saul's blood on his hands. And then David becomes king, and everybody understands that this was God working on David's behalf. Here's what Saul, uh, David says. Here's what Peter says. Here is the promise. You return, evil, uh, for good, you return good for evil, you return blessing for insult, and here's the promise of God. God will bless you as a result. And those who treat you poorly, here's the promise for them. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And that is how you get back at your enemies. <laughs>